EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Well, this is it, and it's time for Inside EMS. This is a special edition of Inside EMS. First, I want to say my co-host, Kelly Grayson, is on special assignment. But, you know, one of the things that we're doing with this special edition is this is really going to kind of cross platforms. This is going to go on Police One. This is going to go on Fire One. And, of course, our home at EMS One. You know, so when we think about mass casualty incidents, and, and specifically, you know, I had the opportunity to be part of the Ferguson crisis in 2014. From the very beginning of the event, there seemed to have been challenges. And I remember asking myself, who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? Because I wanted to be able to find and work through the command structure that we're all taught. And then as the events started to go on, we were having challenges with interoperability. I wasn't able to speak to my fire counterparts. I wasn't able to speak to my police counterparts. And then it became even worse as the state police got involved. And then as the FBI got involved, and we just weren't able to make that communication happen. And a lot of vital information was lost. And a lot of people started using their cell phones because we didn't have radios that were able to connect with everyone. Well, I'm really excited today and I think we've got a really great discussion because we're going to talk about a survey that was developed that had 35 questions with almost 900 responses talking about this very issue about MCI communication. How do we bring it to the forefront and how do we make it something that we finally address because it's not the if things are going to happen in your neighborhood, it's not that if that MCI happens, it's not if that mass shooting is going to happen, but really we're to a point in our society, when is it going to happen? And we've got to be prepared. So before I go any further, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. First off is going to be the author of this great survey, Rob Farmer. Rob, I want to thank you for coming to the show. Thanks, Chris. And, you know, briefly, Rob, just tell people who you are and uh, a little bit about yourself. No problem. I've been in uh, EMS in public safety for just about 30 years now, um, both in the public and private sector, currently working in the private sector in public safety technology, uh, previously the director of public safety for Lee County, Florida, uh, and prior to that, uh, quite a few years in Ohio in EMS, up to the chief level in uh a county-based system there. And what's exciting is you don't even look 30 years old, Rob. Thank you. And also joining us is Bob Relag. Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Chris. How are you? Good. And you actually had the opportunity to be a respondent here and actually comment on some of the responses. And we want to get to that and kind of hear your thoughts on the on this great survey that came out. But before we do that, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about who you are? Well, uh, I'm uh, a firefighter for about 45 years, uh, 30 years as a chief officer, and also I uh, was a former uh, fire marshal for the state of Ohio. Uh, so I do have experience both at the state level uh, on EOCs and uh, basically the local level 
uh, both on a countywide uh, system and uh, interoperability with uh, one of the larger cities in the state of Ohio. That's awesome. I'm not going to make a comment about you don't look 45 years old here. So I'm just going to I'm just going to stop right here and then we'll go there. And also joining us is Jim Dudley. He also responded to the survey as well as looked at some of the metrics. So, Jim, I want to thank you for joining us on this uh, edition of Inside EMS. Sure. It's my pleasure. Um, I am retired from 32 years uh, from the San Francisco Police Department. I retired as the deputy chief of patrol and over my career, I assumed command positions for our special operations group, our SWAT team, EOD, uh, special events, and things like that. Um, I work closely with my counterparts at Fire, Public Health, EMS. Um, we, I was part of the, the, the team that worked with the, the federal providers for UWASI and the funding to respond to critical incidents and homeland security response. Um, and um, I teach now at San Francisco State University. I teach uh, four subjects in criminal justice. Awesome. And, you know, I guess my first question is, Rob, you know, as the author of this, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the, the catalyst as to how this survey came about and what it really means for our career fields. Sure. This was a project with uh, EMS One, Fire One, Police One, and trying to put together a glance at how well communication systems are working, how well people are interacting with their communication systems, and kind of a snapshot of where we are. We've seen so many large-scale events, whether they're large-scale mass casualties or more natural disaster types incidents, like what happened in Houston or what came up the peninsula of Florida uh, this year in the hurricane season. We want to take a look at some of those and kind of what are the communication challenges today and are they any different? Have we learned anything in the past 10 to 15 years? And are we any, are we any better off than we were 10 or 15 years ago? So just really briefly then, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, your last statement there was really telling, are we better off than we were 10 or 15 years ago? Did you get a feel from that, from the responses that came from the survey? Well, um, yes, I did. And I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead of us to do better. Um, what we really tried to take a look at in this survey was I really wanted to make it discipline agnostic. So it, we, we reached out to the fire, EMS, emergency management, law enforcement, uh, PSAP call centers. I really wanted to try to reach as broad a spectrum of respondents as we could to, to get pr the perspective of all of the different disciplines as well trying to reach not only chief officers like Bob, but also street-level responders who are in a police cruiser, in a fire truck, you know, in an ambulance, and what are their experiences? Because, as we all know, um, being in these fields, that we have different perspectives when we're working in the street versus when we're in, you know, behind a desk in, the, in an executive office. So... I really wanted to try to capture a good look at, at perspective from all of those different angles. Yeah, and I, I think that you bring up a good point here, because when you talk about capturing the responses from all levels in the organization, you know, not just the chief level, but the provider level, I mean, what was that going to give you? I mean, what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, responses did you think you were going to get differently? Well, one of the keys that stuck in my mind was 
um, when you have, remember when we're talking large scale, large scale MCI in this event, what we were looking for were uh, large scale mass casualties specifically that are beyond what we see every day. These are incidents that require the mutual aid of uh, agencies that we don't run with on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's not your 10 people on the freeway car crash. We're talking 30, 40 patients, large scale. When you look at a disaster situation, it's not uncommon for somebody on the street to, if somebody were to ask, you know, these people that are responding in, you have a, uh, an EMAC team coming, strike team coming from the other side of the state to come in and help with EMS response. How are they going to communicate? From a street level, it's not uncommon for a provider to be able to say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm sure over there somewhere at the call center we've got, you know, open door A and there's hundreds of radios that we can quickly hand out to these responders. And we'll all be talking perfectly in, uh, in just a moment's time where, you know, from a chief's level or a director's level position, you know, you understand, well, you know, we have some of these assets, but – they take time to deploy and we they take time to make sure they're ready and it's not something that you just flip a switch and everybody's talking together. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that we talk about is is that great disconnect. But so Jim, I guess the thing that I want to ask you next is when you first saw the survey and you took the survey, what what was your initial impression as a as someone who has all this vast experience from the police side? Did you think it was really going to make a difference to to have all this information in front of us? Yeah, I, th I think it's an eye opener. I think it's a slap in the face to say, hey, look, you know, this is important stuff you need to pay attention to. And and federally, there are all these free resources and, and maybe, you know, people just don't know about them. But I mean, you could go to Nevada or New Mexico or Texas and get free team training in uh, response to uh, mass casualty incidents or uh, training with a, a cross-section group in handling uh, a number of disasters, whether, whether it be fire, medical, or law-related. And it's, it's a matter of, of those dedicated agencies dedicating people taking TEKS or FEMA up on the free funded training and sending these groups out to work together. And I don't know why they don't. Um, the other thing is, like I said, the dedication of personnel, it's great that we do it when we do it, but as often as the case in agencies, you'll have a handful of people that go to all the training and on the day of the critical incident, you may not have those people around and, and somebody's got to you know, think on the fly. Bob, what's the first thing that jumped out at you when you were taking the survey to say, this is going to be on point? Well, I think the, the, the key level was, uh, as a chief, I was looking at things that uh, the questions, especially that we're dealing with training are things that we take for granted, perhaps, while we train our firefighters, paramedics, uh, you know, to operate that radio on a day-to-day -day basis. All of a sudden now, as Rob had mentioned, we introduce other factions into the equation, maybe, you know, departments from out of the immediate area or, you know, further away from that standpoint, and how do we deal with that? Um, it's it's really a conundrum in, in some ways that, you know, the police officer, firefighter, paramedic on the street may not have that same level of knowing what needs to be done at a command level and how long it's going to take to actually set up a command level. 
you know, other than uh, our good friends at FDNY that send a command unit as soon as additional help is needed, uh, you know, it will take 30 to 30 minutes to an hour or longer uh, for me to get a command unit on an area, you know, that I may have an MCI or, uh, God forbid, another mass shooting that, you know, basically requires that interoperability, not only among our regular partners, but from those that are coming in as well, um, you know, to assist us. And I got to say, man, I think that there's a lot of great stuff. That was such a great answer. When we think about the metrics and when we think about the information that's coming from this survey, it's called Overcoming Critical Communication Issue During Natural Disaster and Mass Casualty Incident Response. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do is, you know, download the ebook. I want you to go ahead and look at the questions, go ahead and look at the answers. And and this just isn't for the chief officer. It's important for you at the provider level as well to kind of look at what was going on because as Rob mentioned, he wanted to get everybody's perspective because this is one of the things that I think becomes very, very challenging is we all have to be on the same sheet of music. I mean, as the chief of the uh, Ferguson Institute, Incident, I still had to be able to, to communicate with my responders at the provider level. And we had some challenges that we were doing that as well. So regardless of the level that you're at, this is a great report to download and kind of learn from. Bob, I want to ask you another question. You know, you've got a lot of years in the uh, fire service. You've got a lot of years probably in MCIs. So what's preventing public safety from applying all these lessons and experiences and keep us learning? Well, that's a great question. For example, historically after 9-11, the the states especially took the lead in trying to develop communication systems that would at least be working statewide, if not intrastate. And, you know, I can remember the difficulties that were there, whether it was at the New York site or even at the Pentagon with departments coming in that didn't have the ability to talk to one another except really face-to-face. You know, so there have been interim stopgaps in between, but to have a seamless communication system still seems to be a mystery to all of us. Of course, one of the other things that it's there is, is the money that would be involved to get everyone within a certain situation, uh, you know, to talk to one another. One of the things that Ohio has done is have the MARC system, uh, which uh, throughout the the state now, uh, as departments either convert or upgrade on the 800 uh, digital system, is to have MARCs available, which is not only a direct relationship with state itself, but also theoretically being able to put all of the communications onto that system um, would then allow us to talk to one another. The, the reality is, is the training keeping up with that kind of forethought in trying to put together response to large-scale incidents? And I think you bring up a really good question with training, and I want to come back to that. So, Jim, what's, what's preventing public safety from applying the lessons that we keep learning into the daily practice? Well, I, th- I think there's uh, economic reasons. I think everybody's trying to make do with what they have to, to get the mission done, their own individual mission, whether it be police, fire, or, or public health. I think it's tough to pull people away to do cross-training in, say, like like right now, real life. You have 
this flu epidemic where I, my wife is a is an administrator at a hospital and they're running around, you know, stomping on fires with uh, over capacity at, at most hospitals with the flu. So um, it, it takes dedication and effort and somebody to bring people together to say, look, we need to, we need to get this done. Yeah. I think that's pretty, uh, that's pretty good stuff. Rob, I want to go ahead and jump to you because as you're putting this survey together, I mean, the hope is, am I really developing questions that's going to get some good responses? And with almost 900 responses, I could say that I think it was a very, very successful document that you put out. But I want to ask you, when you started to see the results, what was it that surprised you the most about uh, what you were reading? Probably that my the things I was concerned I was going to see were exactly what I was seeing. I had a lot of concern, uh, much to what we've discussed so far, that a lot of these hurdles of inter- interoperability and across not only agencies but across regions, I really was concerned that we were going to find that a lot of these gaps still existed. We look at incidents as they go by on the news. We hear about those incidents later. Chris, I specifically remember, I forget the venue, but uh, hearing you present about Ferguson shortly after it took place and hearing about the gaps that we had in our plans, the gaps we had in our interoperability and the difficulties that we had and, and how much those communication struggles played into how the incident was managed. Why, why we can't get from that point and move to, and learn from those and you know, put these lessons into place and and learn from them and move forward. I I struggle that 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 continues month after month, year after year, incident after incident. Um, and honestly, what what I was afraid I was going to find in this is exactly what we found: that a lot of those communication difficulties continue to exist. Yeah, and I have to say that uh, you know when we think about the the great information that comes out of this survey, and again, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but you know, getting your hands on it and downloading it, I think it's going to kind of open your eyes. I mean, we have to start talking about this as as public safety and not as EMS and not as fire and not as police because we're all involved in these events similarly. But Bob, I want to go back to you because you brought up a great point about training. How can communication be better incorporated into lead? and field provider training, especially in MCI and disaster response exercises? Well, that is a good question uh, because it's an individual responsibility and one that at times uh, people uh, ignore until the event occurs and then in retrospect want to go back and try and fix things. Um, I, I think we're experiencing across the country Enough of these types of incidents, whether it's the 100-car pileup, which uh, my department had about four years ago, or if it's you know something like an MCI or a mass shooting or any of those kinds of things, um, I think the realization has to come, especially at the leadership level, that those things are going to come. And certainly the study, I think when somebody looks at that, is going to see that that's paramount, that they need to not only train at the street level for police officers, firefighters, paramedics, you know, and whatever, uh, but also at the leadership level. And to have that leadership be able to anticipate 
maybe even, you know, a little bit uh, before you really have to say, gosh, I'm in the middle of the alligators. How do I get out of the swamp uh, is, you know, to make those preparations uh, ahead of time. Uh, the other thing that I think is important, and Rob mentioned PSAPs, but we also have hospitals that need to be notified. And whether that's a job of the PSAP uh, or the 911 center or whatever, we, we need to be able to communicate at that level as well so that we can direct um, those patients to the appropriate level of trauma uh, service that uh, that they're going to need. That that's the whole reason for our triage treatment and transport is to be able to then send that patient to an appropriate uh, level hospital that's going to give them immediate treatment. Bob, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, because that was a really great point. And in this mix. We have to know that the challenges of, of reaching those hospital providers, those hospital systems, that has to be part of this as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. In a recent MCI that my department had, and, and I was not directly involved in it, the unit uh, leader, the battalion chief, handled everything perfectly in, the, in this situation. Uh, one of the key elements was that we had just practiced not only with our local communication center, which is a countywide communication center, but also with the main trauma center uh, in the area. Uh, And they, the trauma center, took over that capacity of finding uh, where we should be transporting uh, patients based on our triage as to what level of hospital care those folks were going to need. Jim, I'm going to come to you with this same question because I think it's very pertinent. You know, I think that one of the big challenges that we have is that we're not doing a lot of interagency training. How important is it to get with our fire brethren, to get with our EMS brethren, to get with our police brethren and say, let's run a drill because, again, we're going to be working together one day and we want to make sure we do it as best we can? It's absolutely critical. Uh, when we did our, our, our UAZI uh, exercises, it wasn't until then that we found out that police and fire were going to have two different command posts because the strategy of, of fire is to see it and put water on it, whereas incident command for police and public health may be, we're okay being six or eight blocks away. We don't have to see the event to handle it, to to mitigate it. So to, to understand how our counterparts are working is huge. And you don't really know until you get a scenario where you have to say how your agency will respond to it. Only then do you, do you finally, you know, you really see how people do things. You know, when we think about training, I want to share just the best practice because I started the show off by saying it's not if it happens, but the when it happens in your organization. And we talk about training one of the things that I would use as a best practice is, and it's, I started it with the uh, shooting in Aurora, the, uh, the movie theater shooting. I, I went ahead and sat the leaders down. I went ahead and sat the workforce down. And I said, now this just happened at our local movie theater. How are we going to handle it? And start to think about training in that aspect because it may be a mass casualty shooting. It may be a natural disaster. So as these things are happening in the United States, Go ahead and start training on them as if they're happening in your area. So you at least to know if if that thing does kind of happen, 
you are, are going to be prepared. But Rob, I, I want to ask you the same question. How can communication be better incorporated at the leader, at the provider level, uh, to give them the training they need in MCI and disaster response exercises? I think it needs to be used in their daily practice. One of the issues that I've seen time and time again is uh, providers or those in the command post get thrown into one of these high-level incidents and immediately we start, command starts working to branch off different sectors to different radio communication spaces, whether they're, you know, trunk talk groups or whatever. Um, we have folks out in the street then are hearing, well, I'm in the transport sector, so I need to go to tier three talk group four. Uh, where is, how do I do that? That's not the time to be reminded of how to use your handheld radio. Using some of these practices in your, in your daily work makes them much more routine. We learn in the fire service, you turn a combination nozzle one way to get a straight stream and the other way to get a fog so many times that we can do it without thinking. And uh, in EMS, we did toe tag Tuesdays for mass casualties for years where every Tuesday we would fill out a mass casualty tag just so we remembered and were much more comfortable with how to fill out the tags. But as we move forward, especially with this technology that requires, you know, some, some thought and, and dexterity to look at your radio and switch where it needs to go and get to the right area. I think it's important that we integrate those practices into our daily work so that when it is an unusual circumstance, the stuff that's tricky is routine and we can get past some of those things. And I think, Rob, uh, to add to that, the stress factor that's that's there under the, the real, uh, you know, the real incident, um, you know, to be able to do it right, it goes back to the old proverb of the train the way you fight. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with the fact that we need to train more on how to do this, especially under pressure situations. Exactly. I just wanted to weigh in and say I think we need to, to drill down to lower levels of people who may assume incident command positions because I think one of our, our biggest faults is training uh, a few, a handful of people, whether it be fire, EMS, or police, and then the day of the disaster or the night of the disaster, usually um, you've got untrained people in there and you've got the downtime waiting for people to respond to the incident command post. As the leader of an organization... With the information that came out of this survey, what is it that I can take from this to improve my communication hardware, to improve my training, and, and I guess overall to improve my response to a mass casualty incident? I think we need to look back, take the opportunity to download the ebook, get through, kind of sift through it uh, from the perspective of your own agency, and maybe even get a group of folks together from different places inside the organization and, and look at these questions from the perspective of your own agency and and see where maybe those gaps are. Work towards not only in your own agency, but the other public safety agencies that you run with on a day-to-day -day basis. The, the EMS, the police, the fire. Include your emergency management folks if they're separate. Make sure you include, include your uh, PSAP that dispatches uh, you or all of these agencies. And, and try to find those gaps in and work through some of those. There's so many great lessons learned from incidents all over this country um, and beyond. Some fantastic 
uh, I hate to say fantastic, but some excellent examples of things done well and you know lessons learned from uh, incidents all over the world and how we can incorporate some of that information into our own home agencies. Um, but the trick is to not work in that vacuum. Make sure that you're including the other agencies around you that you run with on a daily on a day-to-day basis. Make sure you focus on what ifs. A lot of times in this in this industry, we we train to success um, rather than training to failure. And make sure you go far enough that you can find where those gaps exist in your own response group, and how can you bridge those gaps moving forward. And I think that one of the things that you brought up there is that, you know, in an event, you know, we, we want to be able to do things as best as we can, but we're going to get caught with our pants down. We're going to make errors. We're going to have failures. We're going to have lessons learned. So to have the most perfect event that we're going to run, it may not be that practical. Hopefully it is. And we need to train. We need to train. And then we need to play like we train and prepare for that. But I think you bring up a really good point there, Rob. So, Jim, I want to ask you, I mean, with your experience from the law enforcement side, how do we now take this information as the as the leader of an organization and, and you know, give it to the people who are on patrol to say, this is what we need to learn from this. This is how we need to interact with our fire and our, and our EMS brethren. And this is how we need to make this stuff work. Right. No, absolutely. The, la- the last uh, thing that was said w- about us being in silos is, is dead on. We, we always, we constantly operate in silos. Um, it's, it's only when there's, we're forced together in an incident command post that we share dual roles as incident commanders that we start learning what the others do. And that shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't meet our opposite number on the battlefield. We should, we should do the preparation. I think we, we fall short in, in, taking the information that we learn from these exercises and pushing them down to field level supervisors. So I think it's incumbent upon us to uh, videotape these exercises, push them down as roll call training. I think we should make field guides so that if you haven't been to training, you can pick up a field field guide and essentially look at the checklist of what needs to be done. But I, I think going back to UWASI, when the, when the federal government pushed all these, these grants out on us, we didn't get the money until we worked with the others, uh, police, fire, uh, public health, public works, to see how we complement each other in a critical incident to, so that you know what the others will do or what's your capacity and how can another uh, agency help. So I think I think that's really important to understand what the others do and learn to complement it. Jim, let me ask you a question since I got you here. I mean, coming from the public safety, all the years of experience, now being an educator in the at the college level, is this something that we should start teaching to our EMS, to our fire, to the police when they're at the college level, when they're in their initial training as well, rather than just wait for them to get out on the job and then saying this is how this stuff works? Sure. No, I think we I think as a public safety whether it's police or fire, that we should have a component that teaches ICS and SEMS. And there's no reason why we don't. There's no reason why we don't teach it at, at the police academy or the fire academy when people are coming in. The FEMA training for 100, 200, 300 is online and it's free. You could do it in a couple of hours. And to, to make that a requirement for, say, every couple of years would just keep people up on common terminology and and common concepts. So I want to go to final thoughts now. I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Rob, from your experience of developing this survey, 
from looking at the responses, from kind of analyzing the the metrics that came in. Give us a final thought as to the importance of what this means to the, uh, I guess, the public safety. Instead of saying EMS or fire or police, really to public safety in general. Again, download it, take a look, look and see how it pertains, how these questions and, and answers pertain to your response area and how the different disciplines in public safety interact to, to answer these questions together. I think all of us in all of the different disciplines need to watch forward. Traditionally, which all of our services are very good at, is doing things the way we've always done it and just doing it better, we think. I, I think people need to really look forward to the future. There's a lot of opportunity ahead in how communication is going to change. We're so focused on our land mobile radios, our 800 trunking systems. We're so indebted to our, you know, the mobile data computers that are in our trucks. Yet the technology that's evolving faster than any of that is the technology that's in my 15 year old's back pocket. And where is technology going to be going in the next couple of years? It's actually here now, but where will it be going in the next couple of years that public safety across the disciplines can look and say, we're going to take advantage of that technology and use it in a new way that really touches all of the different disciplines in our daily practice. Um, there's a lot of great stuff happening. There's a lot of great lessons to learn. And we, we really need to take the time to look and see how we can use this information to really finally make some of these advancements to overcome these hurdles that we've had. Well, you did a great job, sir, and kudos to you. And one of the things that I want to add to that is we, you say that you make the comment to say, where is technology going? Instead of asking that question, I think we need to be anticipatory and, and, and make the communication go where we need it to go rather than waiting for something. Let's go ahead and develop what we need because if we know that this is going to be an issue, instead of waiting for someone to invent the wheel, let's go invent it for them. But, Bob, I want to come to you for your final thought. If you want to sum up the project, if you want to sum up the, your experiences with the survey, you know, kind of when you had the opportunity to look at the metrics, what do you leave the listeners with? Well, I think that uh, going back to the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about about training, uh, I think that uh, that has got to be the key when, especially in the uh, survey, we ask uh, at what level an individual was and then if there was training at that level. And I think, and, and I may be wrong, but I believe that the most of the training uh, especially, again, for the street-level firefighter, police officer, and paramedic, was their initial training, and not a lot has been done since then. We have new technology, um, and, and some of it is, is specific to public safety, and some of it isn't. If you would have told me that uh, at the time in my career where I am, I get dispatches on my cell phone, and it gives me turn-by-turn -turn directions as to how to get there, I would have said, you know, hey, you're, you're crazy, but that's what we have realistically. Moving forward, I think you're exactly right. I think we at least should be discussing both with the communications product uh, uh, companies and the networks that are out there, what type of products would be 
basic level uh, improvements to our systems. And, and I think that is the other key element uh, to it, uh, where we're deficient, what can be developed, and then also the training factor. So, Jim, as you think about this from your standpoint, and you had the opportunity to do the survey, you had the opportunity to look at the metrics, what do you leave the listeners with? Well, I think the the agencies need to move away from the silo systems, the compartmentalization from, from being parochial, uh, work together more, uh, do cross-training together more. Uh, I think there is technology that, that some haves are using that they have not haven't really had uh, the opportunity to use uh, common operating pictures where you actually have uh, video and you have all the different uh, uh, disciplines weighing in on what they can do towards um, mitigating a circumstance I think I think those things need to be uh, more widespread uh, and it, it needs to be tied into regular training rather than just wait for the big one to happen and now as we think about this, you know, this survey, it's there. Go ahead and download it. Again, it makes no difference what level you are in the organization. It was really made for everyone to have an understanding of where we are and where we're not. And I think that's even more important. You have experts that are here from EMS. You have experts that are here from the police department, experts that are here for the fire department. And we always say, when are we going to get together to... Well, guess what? We've gotten together, too. So for everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us. Check out this great survey. Go ahead and look at the metrics and see how you can bring it into your organization. I'm Chris Subalero, and for Kelly Grayson, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS, and we'll chat with everyone again real soon.